It's Saturday. You know what that means. Welcome into Highly Disputed. My name is Dylan Bishop. With me, as always, is Ryan Stickle, this time in person. How's it going, Ryan? Well, we got Tyson here. It's third and 13. Just under five minutes left in the game here. Bears lead 23-17. Tyson's dropping back. Moves a little bit to his left. Throws it left sideline. There's a flag on the play. There's a flag. Not sure if we got a complete or not there, as I'm not in person. Can't see the refs. But Tyson looking good. So, you know, so far, I wish they'd they'd air it out a little more. I understand preseason. We got a limited playbook here. But um, overall, Tyson looking solid. Uh, I'd say definitely better than his senior bowl performance, where uh, he didn't really get much help. But um, yeah, overall, I'm, I'm pretty happy. He he looks like he belongs here. So yeah, we're like we literally just saw this play. They declined this penalty. I think it was out of bounds. I don't think the receiver got two feet in bounds. Mm-hmm. He completed it to him in in terms of like he got the ball to him. He caught it in his hands, but uh, not two feet in bounds. First drive, he had a play action bootleg out to the left side where really nicely thrown ball um, running to his left completion and then a back shoulder pass for about a 20 yard gain those were his two passes on the first drive so I guess he's going to end if they don't get the ball back he's going to end this two for three with you know I don't know 30 some yards maybe which is fine that's what you wanted what you wanted from him Uh, Nathan Peterman and PJ Walker P.J. Walker looked pretty bad. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. His very first pass was a, like awful overthrow for an interception. Lobbed it in there, yeah. Nathan Peterman uh, threw a big long pass for I don't know if I don't think it was a touchdown in the end, but it was a long it was a long gain at the very least. So good by Nathan Peterman's standards at the least. Justin Fields went three for three with like 123 yards and two touchdowns with- on two screen passes. Yeah, I think he finished in terms of air yards i think he had around negative seven negative eight so um which i mean it's it's good for an offense to have that type of yak but uh you, he didn't really do anything i'm not sure they expected much from him anyway today but uh yeah he had he had the easiest stat line i've ever seen like three passes that uh, i think any of us could have thrown and, and probably completed so yeah, I guess we have to take into account that the Bears are winning this game by six with four minutes left. That's probably why even on first and 20 and second and 18, the Bears were running the ball. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I my main hope, honestly, it would be kind of cool to see the Titans uh, maybe get a, a quick score here and break one. And then we can uh, throw Tyson in the two-minute drill because at this point, if the Bears get the ball back, I mean, they're, they're going to run it every play to, to get this clock down as we... Hit three minutes left as we're recording this twenty three seventeen Bears. Um, Malik Willis in the game. They've been uh, doing some kind of two quarterback system type of deal here, where uh, for the Titans, unlike a lot of teams, you know, star comes in maybe a drive, second, third, fourth string. They've been jumping back and forth between Malik Willis and and Will Levis, so it's been different. Yeah, it, it, it seems like the last few drives consecutively will. Uh, Malik Willis has stayed in the game but before that they were essentially alternating drives between Will Levis and Malik Willis which 
those names don't seem like they would be very similar, but when you say them out loud, they kind of do sound kind of. <laughs> I so- found myself, yeah, I was Malik like, oh, Willis <laughs> and Will Le- and Will Levis. It's kind of, it, you know, it's weird. But the the Titans are driving, by Good the way. So Malik, far. yeah, Willis is kind of leading them down the field. Just two two fifty one left now in their twenty four yard line. It's a pretty good drive for them right now. But anyway, uh, we saw Ron, what well, you saw Ronnie Brown last night uh, against the Steelers. He didn't get a whole lot of action, but he he looked good in what you saw. Yeah, he looked good. Um, had a run up the middle at first, gain of you know like a yard maybe. Uh, wasn't much to work with, uh, but then uh, play or two later, they got it to him in the flat out of the backfield. Gave him some space to work, and that's where he's really at his best um, is in the open field and uh, caught the ball maybe two yards behind the line of scrimmage and got a gain of 10 there, got a first down. So he was good, really really limited action. He came in with about four minutes left, and uh, they had one pretty quick possession, and that was pretty much it for for the Bucks last night. But, yeah, he got in the game, um, I and I honestly didn't know if he would just with how many running backs are on a team this early in preseason and – um, the carries they want to have, but the Bucks didn't have their starting running back in uh, to start, which I knew was a good sign. And so he got in on that last series and um, kind of just showed what he's good at, right? Not not an amazing, and especially when you consider his game to the NFL, probably not going to be the best between the tackles guy. Um, obviously can play the position, but um, in space is where he's going to be most valuable. If he can find maybe some reps at, at kick return or punt return, uh, I haven't seen much of that this training camp. Def- didn't see it last night, but if he can get a shot there, I think that's where he's going to prove his worth. But um, definitely that, you know, third down type of back passing situation out of the backfield can definitely give you some value, especially after the catch. But, yeah, it looked, looked solid. I was happy to see him in the game. And um, now looking at Tyson today. So good good weekend for the Rams so far. Yeah, the only thing is, like, this is probably the best weekend for these guys to get the best look because as the preseason goes on, you'll see more from the starters. Although, maybe you could say that middle tier of guys, it's like you're safe on the roster, but you're not a starter. Maybe those guys could see less reps in those second and third preseason games where, again, there is only three now. There was four. Now there's only three. And... It, it's, you know, those last preseason games, maybe you see those guys that are on the cut for the roster see the more game time. Because we kind of see, when it comes to the Bears especially, I think the real thing is going to be, is P.J. Walker or Nathan Peterman the backup to Justin Fields? Fields is the obvious starter. But which one of those guys is going to be the backup? Is it going to be the guy that's closer to Fields? in style of play or is it going to be just the Nathan Peterman so that's the thing I was talking with you guys on the air as we have Ryan and producer Garrett of course who's here every episode <laughs> as he um but at work we had a uh, you know Dylan Brewer on the sports mix and he was telling us about some of the things that he's heard from the Bears training camp and he said Nathan Peterman's thing is that essentially he is just incredible at knowing the playbook and knowing the plays where he's, he might not be this guy that can do a lot of physical stuff. And that kind of plays into why probably a lot of these backup quarterbacks turn into coaches where it's like these guys are on the team because, yeah, we know that if they come into the game and have to start, 
they're not going to wow you with their athleticism, but they know the playbook, and that's the important part is if your starter gets hurt, you're you're not game planning for your starter to be hurt. So you just want some guy that knows the playbook that's going to be able to get and you know execute the game plan. So that's why a lot of these guys that stay on rosters, like a Nathan Peterman, where when he comes in the game, it's like, man, this guy sucks. <laughs> but it's like he he knows what he's doing. He's just not. Which is honestly more of an indictment on his game, the fact that he knows exactly what he's doing and where people are going to be, and it still <laughs> looks like that. But um, He knows what he should be doing, yeah. but just can't. <laughs> and, um, I mean, that's a whole kind of genre of quarterbacks where those guys are the ones where you know, you'll see them get signed week three because somebody's starter got injured and they'll be the new backup. Um, you can get them in on short notice and they can they can play relatively quickly because they can just open the playbook and, and just be good and know know what's happening. And, I mean, that's that's better than you'll be. I mean, you know, the, the NFC Championship last year obviously is kind of what sparked all this rule change and stuff, but um, you're, you're better off with a quarterback who knows the playbook and is really just terrible – than some wide receiver running back who played in college. And they know the playbook, but they're just back there. They, NFL quarterback is a whole different different league there. I mean, you're, you're not just going to jump in from another position and, and do anything of note. Uh, and, and teams know you're not going to be good at it either. So it's not, not the best situation. And obviously the three-quarterback thing this year. So, yeah, I mean, guys like Nathan Peterman will be valuable just for that type of thing. I mentioned earlier Ryan Fitzpatrick kind of just held down that whole position for years. Um, you know, had a decent little run with the Bills, but seemed like he was on a different team every year after that. Just, oh, he's our new backup. And a lot of times he happened to get the starting job because um, whether through injury or guys not playing well on a lot of teams with rookie type of quarterbacks. So um, there's there's value for that in the league. And as we look at Tyson, um Starting his NFL career, you just hope that he can find kind of his lane for that. You know, whether he is one of these guys who can just jump in in any offense and and be productive, make the easy throws. Uh, is he going to be the guy who comes in, has great leadership, and can stick on a team? Uh, that, you know, has yet to be determined. But uh, so far, I mean, through everything, through his whole draft process, um, some preseason reps here, I mean, by no means does he look like he he can't belong with with these groups, right? And I know with preseason he's facing a lot of third stringers. I get that, but um, it's still you're still facing NFL players, <laughs> and that that means something when you're out there throwing throwing dimes and and making plays. And again, he's he's up right now. Not going to be aggressive. It's preseason. You're not going to be aggressive. So um, you know the, you you take this with a grain of salt a little bit, and then uh, trust some people who are following camp, but. Uh, so far, I'm happy with what I've seen. I'm um, hoping the uh, Titans can punch it in here at a minute 46, third and eight from the 10-yard line. Uh, Willis steps up and his throws off the mark, and so you would assume they're going to go for it here on fourth and eight. Yeah. And then, you know, if if, if you're a Tyson Bajant fan, <laughs> you, you hope they score a touchdown here because yeah. you, want, you want him to be able to come in in a situation where they're going to have him throw it because we want to see those reps. We want to see him succeed, but... Um, yeah, Willis kind of overthrew on second down there. That would play that maybe could have been a a touchdown. Although if he puts less air on that ball, maybe it doesn't get, you know, maybe it hits one of those Bears defenders back there. But yeah, this is fourth and eight. 
Let's, let's see what happens. It's a 141 left in the game. Let's see. Willis stepping back to pass. You know, throw. Middle of the field. Looking back. And uh, no, incomplete. Incomplete. Probably going to be some kneel downs then. Yeah. We got, a, we got a minute 35. Bears up by six. Titans got two timeouts. Yeah, you're, you're, you're going to run the ball. Because even in the NFL, it's like you might want to get your quarterback reps, but you're still going to try to win the game, you know? Just for like team morale and whatnot. In this, I mean, this is a situation that you want your quarterbacks to understand. We're up just one score. Other team, a couple timeouts, less than two minutes left. Let's go out and just execute some run plays. Because I mean, that something as simple as that still needs to be practiced. And so I would say in hand it off. I assume I would say if you were to get to third and short in a situation like this, I would in a preseason game want to throw the ball just to see what my quarterback does. Make sure he doesn't make a mistake. Yeah, yeah, and that that might come up here, and obviously there's the balance in preseason of let me get this guy some good reps in good situations, and at the same time, really limit the playbook. I mean, nobody's running out their full playbook. It's very simplified compared to what you see in the regular season, and so um, you will see here. I mean, it's three-yard gain on first down there, so second and seven. Uh, Titans use a timeout, minute 30 left, so... Listen, if if we end up it's it's third and six here, they'll probably run it. But yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing seeing them a little roll out and just see what the quarterback can do. You know, put the game away. Right. Um, you don't necessarily have to use some elaborate play that would that would cost you in the regular season once it's on film. So uh, we'll see here. I imagine they'll be pretty conservative, third stringers in and all that good stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, so far. I'm I'm happy with the performance. He had that nice little highlight reel on third and I believe it's third and eight on the first drive. So um, I'm 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 set with this. Uh, my main hope really is just during the week for Tyson. I hope he's showing off enough. Obviously, there's going to be rookie struggles, which the other guys have the advantages, just being kind of journeymen and and they they know how the the process goes. Uh, so I'm hoping he's showing enough to just hang on the rosters. That third guy. He does have the advantage of being cheaper than maybe a, a Nathan Peterman at this point. Yeah. Um, and so if he can prove he's almost just as valuable but can play for maybe a couple million million dollars cheaper, <laughs> that might be worth it to them. So they're, they're, it's all the little things that you hope. He just I just hope he can stick around on the roster or at least on the practice squad. Yeah, they did not run the – they did not pass the ball on a third and – Third and five. Yeah, the running back just ran out of bounds. On third down. <laughs> he didn't run out of bounds, but he got tackled out of bounds. So, he, it was a pitch play to the left side, and now it's fourth and one. Fourth and one. And let's see. is that a, Was that a good call? Oh, I'm not sure that it was. That knee might have been down before he actually went out of bounds. His, his, uh, his butt was down also. Yeah, I think it probably was. We'll see here. Let's see. I don't know if they're going to review this, this at all. They're one, going for it. And this is a situation where preseason, sometimes, some teams, oh no, they're not. Never mind. Some teams you saw it with the the Buccaneers when they played the Steelers on Friday night. Um, their first drive of the game, they they wanted to get their quarterbacks reps. Um, Baker Mayfield, Kyle Trask. They're trying to figure out who they want to start, and so they were on their own thirty five yard line, fourth and one, and they just went ahead and went for it because they just wanted to maximize their quarterback's reps for the game. That was their goal, and they didn't get it, but I thought it was just kind of a fun thing. They understand that the game outcome doesn't particularly matter. Um, you just want to find certain situations. You want to find a certain amount of reps, 
And so preseason does get managed in in that way. Um, now hold on, ba- they, Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask? Yeah. <laughs> or I'm sorry, I don't understand that concept on the depth chart. <laughs> yeah, you can put or on a depth chart, especially in the preseason. I My think. name is Adam Schefter, and I do not understand. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, d- I didn't get that because you, you do see. It's like, when have you? Why have you not seen that? Especially in college, all the time. I mean, you just rotate so many guys in and out. I, that was weird that he never seen it. And I, I floated the idea um, that maybe the second guy, the guy who was after the or, maybe his agent reached out and he's like, I don't know what this is all about. I've never seen this. Maybe Schefter just kind of carried that water for him because we know Schefter, as good as he is at getting news quickly, it comes with the cost of just kind of doing the bidding of these agents and these executives because they trust him to say what they want to say. And so a bit of a mouthpiece, but yeah, that was a weird thing. Um, man, it's, and I, I again, I say especially in preseason because, what, like, what are we worried about? Um, as the the Bears maybe are going for it here? They look like they're in a normal huddle and fourth and one. Um, see, the weird thing I is I see a number seven, another number 17 out there that isn't Tyson. They do have, yeah, they do. And obviously in preseason, maximize rosters. They, now they're in a pump formation, but... Um, they just showed that they showed it from a weird angle. They, you know how game, the NFL, yeah. you know they have they have those two quote unquote main cams up there. Ones they're two at different angles. Especially Soldier Field though, Soldier Field is notorious for having weird angles for like the press box, and like the all twenty two tape is always messed up compared to other yeah. uh, stadiums because they can't put it in the, the right place. And it's, I mean, the place is like, what, a hundred, almost 100 years old, basically. And so yeah. plenty of renovations have been done. Obviously, it does not look like what it did years ago. But I believe there are works. There are plans and works to uh, build the Bears, a new stadium. But I think there might be like some struggles over like where exactly to put it, like which Chicago suburb to build it in. But <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, that that does seem to be the thing that teams are doing now is when they build these stadiums, they, they kind of build it in a more um, real estate-friendly area, I guess, out in the suburbs, lands a little cheaper. I mean, you, we've seen it with, with the Braves. The Braves are not really in Atlanta at this point. They're just outside of Atlanta. Um, we've seen it with pretty much all the teams in, like, the Bay Area are just going to like Santa Clara and wherever it's yeah it's I mean it's hard to get real estate in a, in a in a metropolis there's a reason why those teams will stay there and renovate over there's a whole over. lot of buildings already yeah and you know you you know we'll get to the Orioles here in a little bit I guess and oh buddy yeah we will that's a whole thing with their lease and how much money ownership wants and how much money they want for renovations versus some area outside the stadium and land that's been purchased it's it's a whole thing, but um, if correct me if I'm wrong, maybe our producer can can do a quick Google search. But I feel like the Bears have the smallest capacity of any NFL stadium at Soldier Field. I don't think another NFL stadium holds less people. I think just by the fact that it's the oldest, I wouldn't be surprised by that at the very least. It doesn't appear to be significantly smaller than the rest but i think when you go through and really count the seats i i think soldier field might be the smallest of the of the nfl stadiums yeah the the titans interestingly enough for they got the ball back with 31 seconds no timeouts they put will levis in again uh as opposed to malik will malik willis on the last drive Mm -hmm. 
and uh, I mean, neither of them looked too too good. No, I mean, you drafted Malik Willis last year, and everybody knew that was going to be a project, right? He was never going to start for anyone week one, and or even for his first season. And um, all right, we're getting some info here. So Lucas Oil Stadium is holding sixty three thousand, and that's the the least. Mm-hmm. Where's Soldier Field? At? It says twenty ninth. Oh, the Bears. Oh, sixty nine or sixty three thousand five hundred for for Soldier Field. So they hold five hundred more. Okay. Oh, and but it's it, close though. And I was confused at first because Lucas Oil Stadium is last at twenty ninth, but you figure a couple of teams share the yeah. L.A. teams, the New York teams share a couple, so. It looks like the Bears are going to hold on here. Yeah, it looks like it. So that's about it for the Tyson Bajan experience. He's, what, two for three with about 30-some yards? He had more than that, I think. I can pull it up here. but um, uh, The first pass was probably about 15. The second pass was probably about 20. I mean, all I know is he's undefeated. So That's a good point. 1-0. <laughs> that's the one that matters. 1-0 every week. <laughs> I mean, P.J. Walker had like 19 yards on eight passes. You don't get a lot of big stats in preseason games. No. So Yeah, I got it here. So um, Justin Fields, three of three, 129 yards, two touchdowns. It's just ridiculous. Uh, Nathan Peterman, four of six for 58. P.J. Walker, four of eight for 19. Not very good. Tyson came in, four of five, 37 yards. Did take a sack for five yards. I'd probably pin on him. He did step up into some pressure. Um, maybe could have rolled out in that situation. But, yeah. um, again, it, that one was, uh, I guess, thir- a third and long situation, I think. So, um, overall, yeah. I mean, really good. It's uh, good for a 97.5 uh, quarterback or passer rating, I should say, because ESPN has the quarterback rating. Yes, QBR yeah. is 1 to 100. Passer ratings perfect perfect rating is 158.3 which, which justin fields did have today unsurprisingly uh perfect I'd, passer rating i'd be kind of confused if he didn't have a perfect passer rating. yeah yeah i mean you throw three passes two or touchdowns and it does also show the flaws because he did not throw the ball past the line of scrimmage today and had 130 yards so yep all right that's that's your ram report um let's see what is good <laughs> Our producer Garrett's showing us that the Braves are beating the Mets seventeen to three. Kind of meaningless, football score. but it is funny. It is a football score. Um, I know the Orioles have more important things to worry about, but I do yeah, check transition. The, I do check on the Braves score now and then because the Orioles are they are in play for the best record in baseball, more than just the American League, which um, they're still still sitting at, I believe, even after they've lost now what three or four games here. So. Uh, they're going to look to bounce back tonight against the the Mariners. The Mariners are hot right now. It's it really yeah. it sucks because the Mariners are a team that overall you the Orioles are been they've been better than them um, over the course of the season. Uh, but you come off that Astros series, the Astros are getting healthy. They're better. They're I mean I mean the Astros are sitting right in a wild card spot, but they they are much better than their record shows because how healthy they've gotten. And now you go to Seattle team that after last night's won eight straight. Uh, you you got to hope it, it, it ends today. Grayson Rodriguez is going to be pitching. Um, but He's been pitching well. He has been pitching well. But the funny thing of the Orioles is uh, them losing three or four is not the biggest story for them this week. Of course it's not. It never is. Uh, 
as if you're listening and you care anything at all about the Orioles or really baseball, I'm sure you heard Kevin Brown suspended by the team for allegedly allegedly but uh i reportedly it's been reported by plenty of credible sources and here's here's the main thing that tells me it's true he was suspended because he made some comments about how the orioles had lost a ton of games to the rays in the past couple years but this year they'd won more games of the trop than they have in the past couple years combined because the orioles are so much better it was very much a compliment using the past struggles to frame it but Ownership didn't like it. Pre, it was a pre-planned segment and everything. I'm sure that's been talked about enough. But um, in terms of the report itself, plenty of credible sources have confirmed. The people who are reporting it say I've talked to multiple people inside the organization who are credible, and they say it's totally true. And the Orioles have not said a word about it. Nope. Saying it's true. Kevin Brown released a hostage statement on Twitter yesterday basically saying block out the noise disregard the distraction i'm here for the long haul he said the statement was i'll give them it was well crafted so they didn't say anything but they said a lot of words essentially said reports have mischaracterized the situation doesn't mean false that doesn't mean anything yeah (laughs) it doesn't mean anything he didn't come out and say actually i was gone because I was on vacation. I was this and this and that. The other thing is it was never – it was – the statement that he put out was the day that he was coming back to being on the broadcast, yep. which was about two weeks after he had last been on the broadcast, about five or so days after this report came out. In those five days, there was no like counter report that disputed what was reported by – First of all, we saw it in this sort of like Orioles Twitter sphere yeah. of like people that we know have some connections but aren't official reporters. And then Awful Announcing made an official report on it. And I think it was backed up by people at like The Athletic. Yeah, Britt Brit Giroli at The Athletic, who she formerly covered the Orioles and think i want to say she was at masson for for at least a couple years that name at um, least certainly rings a bell with me for for masson yeah i mean if you followed the orioles early last decade kind of during their their heyday of 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 this millennium basically uh she was one of the the beat reporters and i i can't remember if she was working for masson or for somebody else but um she was with the team every day she she clearly has uh good sources in the organization working for the athletic now and um she was all over it and, and had a good report. I believe that would have been Monday or Tuesday night. Uh, I think it was Monday night because it was the off day that all yep. this kind of kind of broke open. And Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, it, the fact... Because if Kevin Brown, let's say, had COVID or did something detrimental to the team fully on his own... Um, we would have heard and, about and anything it. Anything like that. They, because as from a PR standpoint, as an organization... If all this was coming out and it was false that ownership suspended him when, in fact, he did something wrong or had, you know, personal issues or even if it was a planned vacation, they would have said it. Because why would you sit and eat this PR nightmare when it's not true? And it's been, um, I mean, it's been five full days now and yeah. we've heard nothing. Well, it was, it was, there was a statement from the Orioles like the day after but 
it was essentially something where it kind of confirmed the reports almost, where they said, well, we don't comment on employment decisions. I was like, that, so you're not denying this report. No, it's which, essentially what they did. It's, and it's such BS because, yeah, I'm sure you don't comment on quote-unquote employee matters. Um, but, like, how often are you going to comment on, an, on a matter of an employee when it's not a player? Because player transactions have to be reported, right? You sign a guy, send one up. DFA, whatever it might be, that has to be reported. Um, but for a, a team employee, most team employees are just nameless people working in the organization. Plenty of people very high up as well, right? Like the Orioles' current st- in-stadium announcer, I couldn't tell you what her name is. No. Uh, but if they laid her off, I guess she, they technically wouldn't make a statement on it, Maybe. I mean, as big of a thing as it was for their last one when it yeah. happened, but they and I don't think they did. A little different with the, with the last – Ryan Wagner was, was very active on Twitter, and that, that was part of the reason for his firing was some – again, some pretty kind of just meaningless nothing tweets. Benign. Benign is – yeah, that's the word to use. Like, I guess could be interpreted as critical, but again, like, that dude is – such a homer for Orioles and like he's he's a Baltimore guy and like but, yeah. for him to get fired for that was was really silly. Well, and, I and mean, on on his, like on his way to the stadium on opening day was extra crazy. Like, I I don't know what they're doing. And I know I know Britt Drolly was on um, a station in Baltimore. I believe she was on one hundred five seven the other day talking fan. on yeah talking with Rob Long on his morning show and. She basically said she doesn't feel like the Orioles realize that they are like a winning team now. They didn't think they were going to win this quickly. No. At, I mean, because, listen, the prospects have pretty much all worked out so far, um, especially guys like Adley and Gunner. Like, guys, you counted on being good. That's worked out. Um, but, you know, they haven't gone all in on making big trades, signing free agents. And so the team – the front office hasn't expected them to be this good. But when you are this good, you have a certain type of spotlight on you. Like, I hear about the Orioles every day on MLB Network. Every single show on MLB Network, every single day, I hear about the Orioles because they are in first place, top team in the American League. And ownership, it doesn't seem it has clicked with them that this team has this level of attention because they're still behaving in a way that they were when they were tanking. And you could fire the PA announcer and nobody would care because nobody cares about the Orioles. And you, you could take an announcer off for this long and nobody would care because you're tanking. And it's like, okay, the announcer's gone for two weeks in, in July. Who cares, right? But when you're winning like this and winning, like, I mean, you're right behind the Braves who are a super team, <laughs> basically. They're the Warriors. Yeah, like Kevin Brown, who is like... It didn't take this event for Kevin Brown to be loved by fans. Fans love Kevin Brown. Like he, he's a class above everybody else at that network. Um, yeah, I mean Melanie Newman's good in the studio. Uh, Jim Palmer still still pretty good. Tells it like it is as a color commentator. But outside of that, I mean Kevin Brown is just a level above the rest. And so fans are going to notice, especially when the team's playing well and it's we're getting later in the season when he's gone and. 
Um, there's been speculation and all this, and these reports come out, and I don't think anybody who's followed the team for a while is surprised by this, or even thought for a second it probably wasn't true. No. Ownership is just so terrible and thin-skinned. Why would you ever doubt that report? To be yeah, honest? and it's the fact that they're it's it it comes down to the ownership as well. There's always the saying that bad teams stay bad, especially in the NFL when it comes to teams like the the Browns and. Usually the Jaguars, although they might have lucked into a generational quarterback, <laughs> uh, and the Phoenix Suns even before they got you know Booker and Aiton and Chris Paul. Now they've switched ownership, but it comes down to the fact that bad owners hire bad GMs, bad GMs trade for bad players and hire bad coaches and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's why ownership matters, and yeah, John Angelos who is also the president of Masson. That's all we have to, uh, you know, Kevin Brown might not technically be a, an employee of the Orioles, but he is an employee of Masson, but is essentially the same because the same person owns both. Yeah. Or is the acting owner of both because John Angelos technically not the owner. His father is, but his father is not in good enough health to run the team. I, I'm half convinced he's died already. I've not heard from Peter <laughs> in years. I haven't seen him in years. And listen, I know there's there's some speculation out there. I'm not putting my name on this. There's speculation that, okay, we'll, we'll give it to you, that he's actually alive still. But the, I've I've heard some say that that Peter's son's and I guess at this point it's kind of just John running the show. They are waiting for him to pass away to sell the team because they don't want it, and that's why they're being so cheap. Well, that's sir, and, I was gonna. And, I was about to it's, say it's, it's it's their father's wish that they that they are owners of the Orioles, and I think they're waiting for him to pass away for them to just move on from it. Producer Garrett here. Um, according to my knowledge, in Peter's will, he wants to sell a team. Because he doesn't want his sons fighting over it. Well, it's too late. They've already, too, they're they've, already fighting already over lawsuit. it. They've there's already already, been, there's already been a lawsuit that has been settled in some sort of he way. He needs to die in order to save the team. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, th- the, thoughts, the thoughts and opinions of Gar- uh, producer Garrett are all his own. Um, but, I mean, he is, John Angelos is certainly treating this like a team that he does not want to own. Like, that's, like, full stop. Not only is he, like, bothered by normal things, because that's the report that came out from, what, Dan Connolly, who used to cover the Orioles, but now is just kind of a, you know, baseball reporter in general, because, you know, going back to a press conference when Dan Connolly just asked regular-ass questions of (laughs) of John Angelos, and he was like, what are you asking me? Have you read the article about how... John Angelos is asking for an extra $300 million to develop the parking lots between Opacy and M&T Bank Stadium. Yeah, that's, that, that's part of the thing. The, you know, the Orioles have not signed – the Orioles' ownership has not signed their lease with the state of Maryland yet to, re, to re-up their contract to have Camden Yards and own – you know, have the land to be a team in Baltimore – which, which 
John Angelos himself set by himself set the deadline and said by the All Star break we'll have this contract signed. Yeah. The lease will be re-upped. We'll be all good. And it, it passed. And nothing happened. That was a month ago. Well, that's like that's the stupid thing about us. Like the Maryland General Assembly approved one point two billion dollars for both teams in Baltimore to renovate both stadiums. Ravens signed it. They got their lease. They got like 10, 15 years signed. I can't remember what the fuck the number is. Year lease. Orioles haven't done it. Orioles are just like, we haven't done it yet. Uh. And what are they going to do next year? They'll sign the deal. They're going to play in what, Norfolk? They got nowhere to play. Yeah, I think. Because he's just being cheap. Exactly. Like that's the fact he wants an extra $300 million. That's why I hate the man. He's such a, he's such an, can I curse? I've already cursed. You can, can I curse? curse. He's such an asshole. Like, what the? <laughs> what is he doing? He's he's literally being the definition of just just like one of the, a nepo baby. He's a nepo baby. Well, here's here's the thing. Also, they can't even threaten to leave, right? Because I, I know if if you follow the Orioles closely, especially on Orioles Twitter, there's all this talk about well, they'll just move to Nashville. Like that's kind of the the the, the talk of the town. That shit takes planning. <laughs> and that's here's the thing, right? Oak, the Oakland Athletics ownership is actively trying to get out of there, and they've and yet got they and still they, need a way. They've gotten the approval for the the new stadium in Vegas, and they're still there. So the fact that they the Orioles have not done anything in terms of a new place to play tells me that they're gonna be in Camden Yards, and the fact that they it would be hollow threats also tells me that. Rob Manfred and and MLB would step in if we do get to the point near the end of the season where they haven't signed a lease. And Manfred's going to step in and say, "Listen, I, we're all, we're going to come in with our lawyers and we're going to work out your deal for you because you're not just going to be homeless. You don't have anywhere to go. You're going to be playing here next year. There's TV contract money in play. I know the the RSNs are in dire straits right now, but." You're going to be here. And so I don't care if you lose your $300 million. This this is going to hurt us too much. And I know the commissioners work for the owners, but when it's going to hurt the commissioner's pockets and the pockets of every other team through revenue sharing like that, they're going to step in. I mean, they're just trying to swindle the state and taxpayers for as much, as much money as they can get at the moment. And it, I don't think it's going to work. And that's the thing of, like, his threats is – and, and I'm doing this in quotes, threats, like people think on Twitter, to move the team, it's backed by nothing. The MLB has not voted for the Orioles to move. They're empty threats. They're empty totally. threats. There's no threats that he has. He just wants the extra money so he could develop public land to turn into his private land so he can make more money because he's an asshole. He he knows that he's not a successful lawyer like his dad and he knows that his money is going to run out eventually because he has nothing he's a nepo baby he's a nepo baby he has nothing to grow on he has his cash that his daddy gave him and that's it and once it runs out because he can't run a baseball team because he's got to invest money into if he wants a he does i don't think he wants a winning team to be honest he wants a team that's he wants the most profitable team exactly and that's the problem between him and the fans the fans want a team that's going to win he wants a team that's going to make him money. Well, look at look at free agency 
look at the trade deadline because I think that's what a lot of people don't realize is even when you trade for a guy and it's not just some big contract, you still in most cases have to pay his contract, right? At least. I know I know the Met, the Mets paid off um they sent Scherzer. Uh, they sent Scherzer to the Rangers, right? Yep. And the, the Mets paid off a good bit of Scherzer's contract to make that deal work. But in most cases, you trade for a guy and he's on your team and he's on your payroll even for a half a year, and they would they wouldn't even take that risk for for some of these guys for half a year. And I mean, you take that into account, they're definitely not going to be signing guys in free agency, right? I mean, that's why you see, okay, we got like, I mean, when Kyle Gibson is your biggest free agent and he's thirty eight years old, and you know your second best free agent is what Adam Frazier, Jack and he, Flaherty at this point, and you know he's Adam Frazier's getting what like eight million a year, yeah, that's nothing in baseball um, for a guy. He's been and listen, his defense isn't great. Um, his offense overall has been fine. He's been pretty good f- for second base, but yeah, hit some home runs. But the, you know, but again, like when you're this team, and we're gonna start to get to a point here where it's pick your one or two prospects for infield and outfield that are gonna come up, and then from there, it's the rest need to be traded because they don't have a spot, and then any other roster spots which that should just leave you with maybe two three roster spots to sign good free agents that's where you spend the money but they don't even seem to be willing to do that because this roster as you see as they're number one in the american league in record and i they're nowhere near as good as they could be which is the you know exciting part but also the most frustrating part because the fact that this team could be there with the Braves and be better with the Braves than with just one or two free agents. Um, it makes you hopeful if, if for whatever reason they come to their senses, but in the, in the meantime, it's, it's frustrating. And I know some of these guys have worked out Ryan O'Hearn's come up and worked out, but there's no reason to believe they signed Ryan O'Hearn with the intention of him being an everyday starter. They're just not like that. They, they lucked into that. Aaron Hicks was, a proven major league guy, but nothing great. Just kind of a stopgap while Mullins was hurt. He's they lucked. They lucked into him being good because he was terrible with the Yankees. And we, I understand that it, it, they've built out a good analytics department and that they're going to see certain things in some of these guys. But at some point, you have to understand like how how many cheap guys can we sign and luck out on? It's not going to keep happening. No. And you're and you're seeing now that prospects aren't this magical thing, right? I. G- Adley was the number one pick overall. Of course, he was going to be good when he came up. Catcher is such an important position. Um, and even he seems to be underachieving a little bit. Is still one of their, their best hitters. Walks a lot. Great great guy to have on the team. Good leadership. Gunner, good draft pick. Second rounder. Um, he's overachieved, if and anything. And he, and he is overachieved. And now we're getting to these guys. Kowser, right? Kowser's come up, and it's been really rough. And I appreciate that they sent down McKenna. And they're going to continue to give Kowser chances to figure some stuff out. But the fact that we had to wait this long for Kowser, right? He should have been able to figure this out in June rather than August and September. Because I, I truly believe he has what it takes to figure it out. But it does take time. I mean, look at how good Gunner is right now. The first month or two of the season, yeah, he was getting walks. But he wasn't particularly good at the plate overall. And it just takes time. Gunner came up, what, end of last August, September? So, mm-hmm. um these prospects aren't these magical things, and that's why it's okay to trade some of them. Joey Ortiz, I, I why is he not on the team right I, now? And listen, 
I wanted him on the team, but I understood. Trade deadline's coming up. Don't get him into the majors, and maybe he struggles, lowers any of his value. He'll kill it in AAA. Trade deadline passes. You trade him. Okay, that's cool. He's going to get some good return. Or you don't trade him. That's fine. But bring him up. And they haven't brought him up still. It's been it's been weeks now. And, and they're at the point now where they're trying to – this has to be a last gasp effort with Jorge Mateo trying him out in center field while Hicks and Mullins were still hurt. Yeah. And so you can't put that one, the, the TBS Tuesday game loss on Mateo just singularly uh, because of that error he made. But you can see on that play, he looked like a guy who never played outfield before, uh, trying to make that play on the Yor- Jordan Alvarez hit out the center field where he the, took the he took a like bell curve route to the ball taking a parabola to the ball basically yeah i mean just look at the route he takes i mean every time he goes for a ball in center field you can see he's circling back to it because that's not his natural position and it, he has no idea how to track a ball in the outfield and listen and he it, why would he i'm a ryan mckenna hater and i for for a guy who just if he would come up now and then you know, all right, well, he'll hit, he'll hit 250, give you decent defense. Hasn't quite done that this year. Um, the defense especially has been questionable. But I would tend to believe Ryan McKenna would have made that catch. Or Cowser would have made that catch. Or Hayes out there, if you got him in center and moved him over, would have made the catch. Mm-hmm. It, the fact that Jorge Mateo was out there, and I get it in that game situation. It's a three-run game. Felix is in. You probably don't think the outfield's going to be – coming into play much but at the end of the day you look at felix's number it's a small sample size against every team he only came up like last april but the astros his era is almost 18 against them and i know this week's numbers inflated that but it's like four innings but it's it's only yeah i think four and two-thirds innings but his era is almost 18 the next worst is the rangers which again it's like five innings but his era is like four or five that's the second worst and so you take that into account. It, it's it's just silly the way they've managed some of these games, and it, you can it you can tell this team is owned and managed, but but because we we can give Mike Elias as much shit as we want, he is doing the bidding of the ownership, and he was hired by the ownership because he would do things in their vision. He wouldn't take that job if he didn't know what he was getting into. Right. He even said he took the job under the condition he reported directly to, to John Angelos, right? Right, which I think people took that a certain way. To me, that was him saying he didn't want other, anyone other than ownership to report to, which is yeah. perfectly fine That's for fair. a GM to want yeah. to say, I only report to the ownership, That's not meddling. multiple guys. Yes, but at the same time, that means that essentially, especially with the Orioles, with their history of not of being, you know, budget managers to the point micromanagers of the budget to where they they act like they are a small market team, even more so than they need to be. You're gonna do what they want, and you're gonna be number crunching. You're gonna be an accountant. Yeah. Essentially, you're going to be a finance manager to the same points that you are a general manager of a baseball team. He agreed to take the job under the condition that he he answered directly to who's basically the owner right now, who we all know 
it, they're one of the cheapest ownership groups in baseball that the Angelos family over over decades, right? Yeah. And and especially after that Chris Davis contract, which they're still paying off, they're they're especially now scared to death because that was the one swing they took the last decade, right? Yep. Ubaldo Jimenez got a decent contract, but he's a starting pitcher, right? And that that didn't did, work out either. Didn't work out, right? He was past his prime, walked a lot of guys. Okay, but still, he pitched through the contract. Had some decent starts here and there, right? But it, you you survived it. Your team was good. The Chris Davis contract, big contract. You're going to be paying him millions of dollars every single year. It's like they're they've they're scarred for life for it, and now they won't spend money. And now you have a GM who is just like, "Yep, I'm here with ownership, and we're aligned." And listen, they've drafted well enough that they've built a good roster. They've lucked out on a couple guys here and there, which even good teams need to do now and then. But you can't look at last offseason or this trade deadline and think that they are all in on winning. You just, there's no. They're not. No, I mean, uh, like Fujinami and Flaherty are the answers for the whole pitching staff. You're silly if you think that's, that's the. Uh, Fujinami came in as a project, still clearly is a project because he gets a, a man on and he completely falls apart, can't throw a strike. And Flaherty, who. Really good first start. Second start, not very – he didn't have his good stuff, but he battled through. He got five innings, kept them in the game. And so they didn't give up much for either of them, which is good. But also you could have given up a Joey Ortiz, who you don't seem intent on playing at the major league level. Him, straight up, you could have gotten a good eighth inning guy for two months for Joey Ortiz and upped your World Series chances and your division chances and all of that by a good 10% because one or two good and like when I say good I mean like sub 3 ERA guys which yep. are out there and those type of rentals are cheap cuz the innings aren't going to be so high they could have gotten that so easy and could have gotten multiple of them without giving up anybody who would have contributed at the major league level within the next 2 or 3 years and to me that's worth it when you consider you're in the postseason it's just a crapshoot you need a good eighth inning here and there and you just need a good bullpen to compete. And so uh, uh, that that trade deadline was make or break for me. I was willing to at least wait because I, as much as I disagreed with it, I understood, I understood why they sold at the deadline. I understood why they didn't spend a lot in free agency this past offseason. I understood from their point of view. But now that you're number one in wins in the American League and you're still not going for it, you never will. You you have arrived. Go and act like it. Yeah, you and fans want to say, oh well, the championship window is it's not we're 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 ahead of schedule. I'm like, no, your championship window is now because you lead the league. You're here. Run. Yeah, and your window's now. It's it's silly. We have this arbitrary timeline, which again, fans have kind of just made up themselves. Ownership never said a word about when they were trying to win or when the championship window was. They just have broadly said, well, it's going to be rough now, which again. Weird that the ownership and management can say it's going to be rough for a little bit, but the announcers on TV can't say it. But then afterwards, rough, we're going to start winning. We're going to, have it, we're going to be a contender. They never said when that window was, and but fans have kind of assigned it, and now we're, we keep moving the goalposts here. Speaking of windows, have, have we re-signed any of our good young prospects? No, we have not. No. So do how some of the people on Twitter have been like, we have a 10-year window. Do we have a 10-year window? We haven't re-signed Adley or Gunner or anyone 
to long-term contracts. We do not have a 10-year window. As of right now, we have a four-year window because Adley is on year two, I think. I don't know, of his six years in the big leagues. If we don't re-sign any of these kids, we're not going to have a 10-year window. We have a four-year window. Once Adley leaves and Gunner leaves, it's going to be Jackson Holiday all by himself. Like, what are we supposed to do then? That was the, what Ryan and I were talking about last episode, essentially, where it's like, you know who – there's been, like, one team in the last 30 years that had a 10-year championship window, and it was the 90s Braves. And it was because they had three Cy Young pitchers. They had Chipper Jones. They had Andrew Jones. And the number of other guys that they had on the team. And you know what the Braves are doing right now? They're re-signing Acuna and all the other guys that they have to long-term contracts. They have a 10-year window. We have a window that is, has, clearly has an ending when Ali's contract runs up. Once Adley is gone, the Orioles are over. Right. It, it's it's essentially it's whether you like it or not. It's it's ownership propaganda to say this is a ten year championship window because those do not exist. Essentially, like they don't really. It's incredibly rare to say for ten straight years we are championship contenders. Even the Astros haven't even been doing that. And people are already talking about how I saw the other day on ESPN or whatever it was saying, are, are, I think it was on the TBS pregame for the Orioles Astros game on, on TBS with Curtis Granderson, Jimmy Rollins and Pedro Martinez, where they, they, uh, they were given the prompt of, are the Astros a dynasty? This is a team that has been in, uh, championship contention since about 2017, so about six years. And I'm talking about, is this team a dynasty? You know how rare it is for your team to be a dynasty in general also? It's, it's, like, it's ridiculous to assume that the Orioles, the, the Orioles especially, if you're not going to commit financially to keeping your good players, you can't expect to be good for more than, like, three years. Yeah, and that's what's funny also is, because Mike Elias and, and Sigmai Dahl came from the Astros organization. Um, the, and, and they're saying, well, we're modeling, <laughs> modeling our organizational structure and philosophy after the Astros in order to have a 10-year championship window. But the Astros, like you say, 10 years ago, the Astros were still one of the worst teams in baseball. The, and the Astros, just at the trade deadline, traded for a pitcher with a big financial commitment a guy that they already had given a financial commitment to a few years ago in justin verlander and they've been re-signing their guys they didn't they didn't keep george springer or carlos correa sure but you don't have to keep all of the guys i mean sure and you can't keep all the guys right you can't some of them are going to be too good but like they understand now let's let's also point out houston is the third biggest city in America behind uh, or fourth if the if not behind yeah, Chica- uh, New York, LA, maybe Chicago. Yeah, they're like, definitely at least in terms of TV market. I think it goes I I feel like they might be third. I I mean New York is first and I think it might be LA then then Houston then Chicago. Something I mean they're top at least top 4 in that order and so obviously yeah. Bigger market like TV money's going to be a little bit better and and attendance numbers are going to be a little bit better. Uh but I mean, 
compare it to the Orioles, and it's not like they should have that much more money to spend, right? No. Uh, I mean, if you own a Major League Baseball team, you are a billionaire. Yeah. And you have to be a billionaire. You have to have multiple billions of dollars to afford a Major League Baseball team in 2023. And even going back to the Kevin Brown situation where it wasn't just the fact that Kevin Brown said something that the ownership didn't like. It was a clear pattern of John Angelos, who is also, the again, the owner the, or the president of Masson, who broadcast the Orioles games, saying, essentially, don't bring up these old bad Orioles teams because it makes me look bad because that was the thing the the stat that they used essentially was like the last three years since 2018 the Orioles had not been able to beat the Rays and this year they already had more wins than they had in that time frame 2018 was when John Angelos took over the Orioles operation and there was reports that it was there's been multiple occasions where it's like hey don't say this because it makes our John Angelos you know, ownership tenure look bad. Don't bring up old players and coaches from the Orioles, like Adam Jones and other guys like that. Like, don't even say the name Adam Jones because it makes it reminds you of older years of the Orioles where we used to be bad and worse and cheap. And it, that just tells you it's it's projection of like he know John Angelos knows that he's not doing what he should be doing as a major league owner, but he's too cheap to do anything about it. And he's too thin skinned to just shut up and take it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's another angle of the Kevin Brown thing that hasn't been brought up too much. And it wouldn't surprise me if this were the case where they know as well as anybody talking about John Angelos and, and ownership that this is a stupid suspension my thing is, I almost feel like they're they're playing a, the dumbest form of chess, where in their mind is, well, Kevin Brown is someone who we can't afford to keep in the long term because he's a very good announcer. He's already part-time for ESPN. If, if we re-up him, he's out of our pay grade. And so their hope is to suspend him for something that is really stupid and that they know is stupid in hopes that he just leaves from the organization so that they can then paint him as the bad guy and say, well, he left. He didn't want to re-up with us. But what backfired is the fact that it got out why they suspended him. And now if he does leave, fans everywhere and organizations everywhere are going to be sympathetic to why he did leave the situation. And so that part is is fully speculative, but... um, the fact that I could, you know, the fact that you can come to that conclusion isn't surprising. I'm sure there's plenty of others who kind of see the writing on the wall there. Because, I mean, if Kevin Brown is back opening day next season calling games for the Orioles, I'd be really surprised. Because yeah. he certainly is, he's above the, their level of broadcast and and their way of running the organization. I mean, this guy... Could be on ESPN every Saturday calling college football. I know he does college softball for for ESPN. He's one of their top guys for that. Um, he just he doesn't need it. And and again, if if an opening pops up after this season for another MLB team, he could be their number one instantly. Like he's not going to struggle to find work here. And so, you figure he can go work somewhere else and he can just do his job because it's not like he spoke out of turn. I mean, he was just 
reading reading the script, reading the graphics, and and he he was suspended for almost three weeks for it. And so, I, I don't know why you'd want to put up with that. And maybe Kevin Brown's a good company man, and it sucks for him, but he he likes calling the Orioles and he likes Baltimore, and that might be the case. Maybe he'll stick around, but I you know. I'm not gonna if he leaves, I'm not gonna blame him. In fact, I'll probably be happy for him. Yeah, Kevin Brown's not even like a local Baltimore guy or anything, and neither was Gary neither was Gary Thorne. No. And not like none of these guys, like, they don't really have these connections. A lot of like the 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 off chance that you're gonna get a broadcaster who was like a, a hometown guy per, like wants to like this is his favorite team. And he just wants to be here forever, no matter what. Is the the chances are low. So when you get a guy like Kevin Brown, you got to treat him right, or else he's gonna go into greener pastures. Yeah. Garrett, did you? Uh, <laughs> Garrett, be careful. But uh, I know that you uh, you had more to say. Oh, about John? Yeah, sure. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, so I looked up John's Wikipedia page, and um. The only thing on there is, like, his education and his occupations and his parents. His only occupation is the COO of the Orioles. He has done nothing else in his life. He went to Duke. Like, hoorah. Great for you. Um, (laughs) Other than that, nothing. Like, John, literally, he was born, and his daddy gave him money. Daddy gave him a job. And now he's the owner of the Orioles. For like by proxy because his dad's still alive. Rest in peace. Eventually, Peter. Um, <laughs> but you know, R I P E. Yeah. Ripe. <laughs> Ripe Peter. Ripe Peter Angelos. <laughs> Rest in peace. Eventually. But yeah, John. He he he's the definition of a nepo baby. And big, I don't, I don't know if I don't think either of you guys have watched Succession, but big Kendall Roy energy from from John Angelos for sure. Oh, I believe you. I have not watched that television show. Um, but anyway, <laughs> it, if John wants to be a, I, I don't know his wants or aspirations. If if he wants to be known as a World Series winning owner Here's of a- an MLB team, he needs to invest in the team and he needs to have a lease to a ballpark that forever changed baseball. So that's the problem. I don't think he does want to. I I don't think he cares. I he's just doing this because it was his dad's thing and he probably just wants to make daddy proud for a little bit. And but he doesn't care enough to actually do it because Peter Angelos didn't care enough either to pay anyone. He was just as cheap Maybe not just as cheap, but like, because John Angelos might be setting a pretty new standard, like like clearing the pretty high bar that Peter set. But Peter Angelos wasn't giving out huge contracts to everybody, but he was the you know he did take over the Orioles in the '90s, and we know that the Orioles were a consistently really good franchise in the '80s and '70s and '60s when they were able to have guys like Jim Palmer and. Eddie Murray and Frank Robinson and Brooks Robinson and Cal Ripken Jr. But they haven't been that since the 80s and 90s. And that's when the Angelos family took over. And we know that ownership matters a lot. So it's, it's, there's a correlation there. 
I just desperately need somebody to come in who is not John Angelos, obviously, but is also not Steve Cohen, who has just spent money so aimlessly that his team is kind of trash. Can I get somebody in the middle who is willing to spend lots of money and is also smart? I just... I, I want Kevin Plank. <laughs> Kevin Plank. Yep. Who is... I, I legitimately don't know who this is, Garrett. Can you tell me more? He's the uh, the the owner of Under Armour. The owner of Under Armour. Okay, the Under Armour's. I know that's a Maryland Maryland based company. Is is this something that's been rumored, or are you just? Uh... No, I uh, I googled Under Armour, and he came up, so I want him. <laughs> I do see uh, so Under you knew... Armour owner. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna guess that you you knew Under Armour was Maryland owned, and you were just like, who's the owner? Yep. Exactly. You know what? I mean, he couldn't be worse. No. You probably could. I mean, maybe he could, but it it would take a lot. He's younger. Yep. How about that? I don't. I don't know how you could get much worse than somebody who they they are not signing or extending anybody. Like yeah, even these even these veterans like they're coming on like one two year deals. That's why I keep saying Cedric Mullins just seems like a guy that the Orioles would trade because it's in their history. Peter Angelos, John Angelos, no matter who it is, no matter who the GM is, this guy's just like yeah, we're not gonna. He wants like twenty million a year. We're not. No, he can go ahead. Hayes, like anybody who's been here for Santander, like anybody who's been here for a few years, you just kind of fear for their future with this team because it's like. What have they shown to us that that proves they're gonna pay any anybody like literally anybody? And oh my gosh, like I I know we talked earlier a little bit like Adley and Gunner being part of this ten year window. The reason the Braves signed everybody so early is because like that's they're, they're getting these guys at their cheapest. In fact, they're they're kind of just underpaying a lot of these players. Unfortunately for the players, but the Orioles could be doing the same. Like they could have extended Adley already this season. They could have. I mean, they could be in talks with Gunner maybe after this season to just go ahead and extend him. Those two guys are clearly enough and legit enough to be on your team for years to come. It's like I can understand not wanting to extend Adley because catcher is the running back of the MLB. But not even talking about extending Gunner, even after his half season last year, if there's no talks about extending Gunner this offseason, we know that this window is not 10 years. This window is going to be whenever Gunner and Adley are off the team and we'll have Jackson Holiday by himself playing shortstop with Enrique Bradfield Jr. in <laughs> center field doing nothing with Kobe Mayo. Yeah, and I mean, if if we're talking window for this team, I mean, guys like Hayes, Santander, Mullins, they don't they don't really have a lot of time left with this squad in the in the long term, uh, unless you you pay them. And so why are we why are we even thinking about them as future pieces, right? And they I mean, gosh, Santander from start of the season to now, he's probably the most important guy outside mm-hmm. of maybe Felix, right? Yeah. Because I know Adley's always important to have around. Um, even when he's struggling, he just there's just something there's just something about Adley, right? Special player. Gunner started rough, but they they hung in there. They knew he was special, and now he's performing, and and he looks like one of their most important bats at the moment. 
But from the beginning of the year to now, Santander has been consistent. He was good last year. He can hit you home runs. He's walking a lot more. And that's a guy like they, they, should, they should be able to afford him. But they, it doesn't seem like they even want to negotiate. And that's the, the bewildering thing, in my opinion, of the Orioles' front office. They signed Santander from the, five, from the Rule 5 draft. And then they have Kerstad about to go in, be eligible for the Rule 5 draft after this offseason. And they didn't trade him, which if you were smart, you would bring him up to the 40-man so they so so he couldn't be traded away. But they haven't done that yet. So they just want to lose Kerstad for nothing. They want to make that draft pick. He was a number two overall draft pick. You want to lose that for no nothing? Like, what What are they thinking with Kerstad? Are they just going to leave him down in AAA f- to to be traded to, like, the Twins or something? Yeah, or or any of the, guy, the guys down there, really. I mean, it, we're at a point. I mean, listen. They're number one. Like, you can't say it enough. They have the most wins in the American League. Something is working here. You have this farm system. You have, what, five five or so top 100 prospects? I think it's eight. And it's yeah, eight. Like I, I think the own MLB pipeline just updated their rankings with, I want to say, six or s- seven. I, wanna say, I think it's six guys in the top 55. Now, they don't have anyone else between 56 and 100, but... They have five guys in the top 50, including Kowser, because he hasn't played enough MLB games yet to be considered not a prospect anymore. But then uh, I think it's Basayo or someone else at 55. So that's that's what they have. But but it's we're at a point now. It's like play him or trade him, right? And especially all these infielders, like where's the room at? Like what are we doing? Like, yeah, because they're doing the thing where essentially – you can tell the the cheapness of the ownership, where the, essentially they're saying, "Oh, we don't we don't need to keep uh, Mullins, Hayes, Santander long term. We can just replace them with Kerstad, Kowser, and whoever else when they come up. You know, and we don't need to pay these guys. And then, but at the same time, they also keep those guys down in the minor leagues for as long as possible, so they have." The service time. We're playing the service time Olympics with them as yeah. well, so that we don't have to pay. We don't have to pay them as long as possible. The longer that we keep them down in the minors, then the longer it is we have to wait before we actually have to pay them money. Also, they're doing the. They're taking every route that they can to be cheap, as if they're a 60-70 win team when. They're not anymore. You've hired a you hired a good GM in terms of being able to get talent in the minor leagues. You've found a guy who knows how to find talent, and now you actually have to do something about that because yeah. you've put together a good team. And look at a team like the Dodgers. They consistently have one of the best minor league systems, even as they win. Right? There's this myth. In the fan base, it seems like where you have to lose to build a minor league system. You really don't. If you draft well, there's plenty of value in the whole first and second round for guys, especially if you get the right position. And, okay, maybe once every couple of years, one of those guys comes up as your top prospect and you work it out. But for the most part, you keep that system up even when you're winning in order to trade those guys for players who will kind of bump you over that championship threshold 
in the middle of a good season. And the Orioles, were they were at that point this season. Like, the fact that they had that many wins and that many prospects, you, you heard, and we talked about it on the last episode, every report says, well, the Orioles can do this. And, of course, they can do it. They, they, they could have made literally, like, I mean, they could have traded for Otani and had, they, they could have had the package for that. And, obviously, that was off the table. But the fact that you could do that, you could make any trade you wanted to, at least one, and really improved your team. And they just didn't. And they held on to all their chips. And so you hope maybe in the offseason, like, you can only just hope, right? Because there's no evidence that it's they're, they're going to do this. There's no, oh, well, they'll get them in the offseason or next trade deadline. Like, that's, that's not how it's going. They're just being cheap. And it's just, it's just sad. And you, you feel for the guys on the roster, too, because as much as they like the guys around them, the team gets along, um, you never want to see anybody go. They also get that all the teams around them are trading for guys like Justin Verlander <laughs> and, and, and there's, there's, you know, the blue Jays are being aggressive, uh, got uh, reliever Jordan Hicks at the deadline. Like it's plenty of moves around them that from teams that are uh, on paper and record wise worse than them. We, you know, there's a couple more talking points that we could bring back up, that, but it would just be going in circles But from the last episode that we did. Yeah. I think the, the main thing is, is it's very clear through this Kevin Brown situation and the way that he manages the team, John Angelos and even the Angelos family in general are not cut out to be Major League Baseball team owners. They are not willing to make the financial investment into a team and they are not able to handle any level of criticism from their team. It's not, it wasn't even criticism. No, it was that a positive. Got, it was, a it positive. was it was essentially reference to bad records and bad teams during their tenure. Reference to them, not even criticizing them, just referencing this team has been bad during these years. What? And not even bringing it not it's not even Kevin Brown it's not even like Kevin Brown was like since 2018 when John Angelos took over the team it was like <laughs> no he just said since 2018 the Orioles have beaten the Rays this many times and even just this year they've beaten them even more and it was like if you can't handle that level of not even criticism just blatantly stating the facts that this is how this team has been and people can put together oh, that's why this guy's been the owner. If you can't handle that and you're not willing to put in the financial investment to change that reality, sell the team. Yeah, You can't handle being an owner of a Major League Baseball franchise. You need to sell the team to someone that can. Yeah, I mean, there's not much, not much more to it than that. Uh, your broadcaster is essentially saying, look how good we're doing right now. And the fact that that even implies or, or involves a mention of a past team not being very good, it's it's just silly. And everybody knows it's silly. There's there's just nobody defending this at all. Not The Orioles themselves aren't defending it. Um, they're just saying, move it along. Nothing to see. Kevin Brown's back on TV right now. Just enjoy it. Um, yeah, just a sad situation. None of this, by the way, is surprising. I think that's worth mentioning. Like, there's no... No. And the, they'll go into this offseason and probably, you know, 
they'll lose a guy here. They'll find some one-to-one replacement for, you know, free agent, $6 million replacement level guy just, just to fill the roster spot. We'll see some of that, but um, till they, until they change it up and really spend some money on somebody, I mean, there's no reason to, to give them any benefit of the doubt or, or hope that they'll improve. So um, you just got to hope for this team right now because the, the team right now is winning. Win, winning's not guaranteed, but they are winning right now. You hope they turn it around tonight against the uh, the, the Mariners. Um, you know, off the series against a good team, playing a team that's good and, and they're hot. Uh, figure it out. You know, then you get the Padres who for some reason bought at the deadline. And I'm all in favor of being aggressive and, and maximizing, but the Padres should not have bought at the deadline. It was really funny. It's I think it's really funny when there's there's those teams that think oh we might, might need to be s- selling guys off at the deadline, and then they go on a f- like a f- four or five game win streak yeah. from like July 25th to July 30th, and then all of a sudden they're like, I think we got a chance, guys. Yeah. And it's it's and like it, oh come on now. And I guess the Padres, <laughs> it's you know similar. I mean similar record to the Mets, and we saw the Mets sold, and the Padres are just like well. We're gonna go all in no matter what with this season because we have all the like these guys are in their prime. Like we have to try something. I get that point of view, but yeah, that not not a good move. So you would hope they can go maybe take two or three from them as as good a roster as they still do have on paper. Um and then you play the Oakland A's, and that's you know, if if things go awry here in these next few games, you do hope the Oakland A's can can get you right at the end of a, a road trip and maybe get a sweep out of them because again, I mean yeah. Just one of the, one of the worst teams we've seen in several years. Uh, so a, a tanking team like the Orioles were a few years ago. So that's the hope. We'll, we'll, we hope we can get it right tonight. And you know, just just for the rest of the year, I mean, just maximize everything they have and hope there's some some help in the bullpen from DL Hall and John Means and and guys from the likes of that. Maybe uh, Tyler Wells can come back up and improve. And but. Nick Vespi's back. And Nick Vespi yes, is back once again. They, they, he's always pretty decent for them, and they never keep him around. So hopefully he can stay. But yeah, I mean they 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 got to get right. I mean three or four for a team this good is is kind of a big deal. Um, but again, against it's it's three losses against teams that are really good, and um, two one of those losses was just. Really an anomaly. I mean, Felix Bautista does not blow a three-run lead really ever. And so you, you don't think that's going to happen again. So I hope they can win it. I hope they can they can make a deep run here. But, yeah, it's it's just a tough state of affairs. Yeah, the pitching just doesn't seem like it's there. But uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it yeah. as we go through August. And uh, we're, still, we're still here. Can I have uh, one final word? A positive word about John Angelos. It better, if it's okay. not positive, you're suspended from this show. Right. <laughs> John Angelos, a leftist. Wow. Is he? Yep. He donated to the uh, DNC and to uh, Barack Obama. Really? Yep. Huh. I know he is, I know he is a, a Democrat. Yep. I don't know if I'd call him a leftist. Uh, I think by <laughs> being a billionaire, I think that automatically makes you not a leftist. But, I mean... Go off, King. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, well, I guess we forgive him for everything. Those damn libs. I think yeah. that's what. I think that's more more accurate to call him. Anyway, uh, yeah, we'll keep an eye on that. We'll keep an eye on the the Rams through preseason. Three weeks from today is uh, the first Shepherd football game. Can't get here soon enough. Yeah, so we're almost there. 
So, uh, hey. Go Rams? Uh, go Rams. Let's go Rams. Go Rams.